Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Chapter 24 of The Return of Tarzan This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Return of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs Chapter 24 How Tarzan Came Again to Opar When Clayton returned to the shelter and found Jane Porter was missing, he became frantic with fear and grief. He found Monsieur Thurin quite rational, the fever having left him with the surprising suddenness which is one of its peculiarities. The Russian, weak and exhausted, still lay upon his bed of grasses within the shelter. When Clayton asked him about the girl, he seemed surprised to know that she was not there. "'I have heard nothing unusual,' he said. "'But then I have been unconscious much of the time. Had it not been for the man's very evident weakness, Clayton should have suspected him of having sinister knowledge of the girl's whereabouts.' but he could see that Thurin lacked sufficient vitality even to descend, unaided, from the shelter. He could not, in his present physical condition, have harmed the girl, nor could he have climbed the rude ladder back to the shelter. Until dark the Englishman searched the nearby jungle for a trace of the missing one, or a sign of the trail of her abductor, but though the spoor left by the fifty frightful men, unversed in woodcraft as they were would have been as plain to the densest denizen of the jungle as a city street to the englishman yet he crossed and recrossed it twenty times without observing the slightest indication that many men had passed that way but a few short hours since as he searched clayton continued to call the girl's name aloud but the only result of this was to attract numa the lion Fortunately, the man saw the shadowy form worming its way toward him in time to climb into the branches of a tree before the beast was close enough to reach him. This put an end to his search for the balance of the afternoon as the lion paced back and forth beneath him until dark. Even after the beast had left, Clayton dared not descend into the awful blackness beneath him, and so he spent a terrifying and hideous night in the tree. The next morning he returned to the beach, relinquishing the last hope of succoring Jane Porter. During the week that followed, Monsieur Thurin rapidly regained his strength, lying in the shelter while Clayton hunted food for both. The men never spoke, except as necessity demanded. Clayton now occupied the section of the shelter which had been reserved for Jane Porter, and only saw the Russian when he took food or water to him or performed the other kindly offices which common humanity required. When Thurin was again able to descend in search of food, Clayton was stricken with fever. For days he lay tossing in delirium and suffering, but not once did the Russian come near him. Food the Englishman could not have eaten, but his craving for water amounted practically to torture. Between the recurrent attacks of delirium, weak though he was, he managed to reach the brook once a day and fill a tiny can that had been among the few appointments of the lifeboat. Thurin watched him on these occasions with an expression of malignant pleasure. He seemed really to enjoy the suffering of the man who, despite the just contempt in which he held him, had ministered to him to the best of his ability while he lay suffering the same agonies. 
At last Clayton became so weak that he was no longer able to descend from the shelter. For a day he suffered for water without appealing to the Russian, but finally, unable to endure it longer, he asked Thurin to fetch him a drink. The Russian came to the entrance to Clayton's room, a dish of water in his hand. A nasty grin contorted his features. "'Here is water,' he said. "'But first let me remind you that you maligned me before the girl, that you kept her to yourself and would not share her with me.' Clayton interrupted him. "'Stop!' he cried. "'Stop! What manner of cur are you, that you traduce the character of a good woman whom we believe dead?' god i was a fool ever to let you live you are not fit to live even in this vile land here is your water said the russian all you will get and he raised the basin to his lips and drank what was left he threw out upon the ground below then he turned and left the sick man clayton rolled over and burying his face in his arms gave up the battle the next day Thurin determined to set out toward the north along the coast, for he knew that eventually he must come to the habitations of civilized men, at least he could be no worse off than he was here, and furthermore the ravings of the dying Englishman were getting on his nerves. So he stole Clayton's spear and set off upon his journey. He would have killed the sick man before he left had it not occurred to him that it would really have been a kindness to do so. That same day he came to a little cabin by the beach, and his heart filled with renewed hope as he saw this evidence of the proximity of civilization, for he thought it but the outpost of a nearby settlement, had he known to whom it belonged, and that its owner was at that very moment but a few miles inland, Nicholas Rokoff would have fled the place as he would a pestilence. But he did not know, and so he remained for a few days to enjoy the security and comparative comforts of the cabin, then he took up his northward journey once more. In Lord Tennington's camp preparations were going forward to build permanent quarters, and then to send out an expedition of a few men to the north in search of relief. As the days passed, without bringing the longed-for succor, hope that Jane Porter, Clayton, and Monsieur Thurin had been rescued began to die. No one spoke of the matter longer to Professor Porter, and he was so immersed in his scientific dreaming that he was not aware of the elapse of time. Occasionally he would remark that within a few days they should certainly see a steamer drop anchor off their shore, and that then they should all be reunited happily. Sometimes he spoke of it as a train, and wondered if it were being delayed by snowstorms. "'If I didn't know the dear old fellow so well by now,' Tennington remarked to Miss Strong, "'I should be quite certain that he was a uh, not-quite-right, don't you know?' "'If it were not so pathetic, it would be ridiculous,' said the girl sadly. "'I, who have known him all my life, know how he worships Jane. "'But to others it must seem that he is perfectly callous to her fate. "'It is only that he is so absolutely impractical "'that he cannot conceive of so real a thing as death "'unless nearly certain proof of it is thrust upon him. "'You'd never guess what he was about yesterday,' continued Tennington. I was coming in alone from a little hunt when I met him walking rapidly along the game trail that I was following back to camp. His hands were clasped beneath the tails of his long black coat, and his top hat was set firmly down upon his head. As with eyes bent upon the ground he hastened on, probably to some sudden death had I not intercepted him. "'And where in the world are you bound, Professor?' I asked him. 
"'I am going into town, Lord Tennington,' he said, as seriously as possible, "'to complain to the postmaster about the rural free delivery service we are suffering from here. "'Why, sir, I haven't had a piece of mail in weeks. "'There should be several letters for me from Jane. "'The matter must be reported to Washington at once.' "'And would you believe it, Miss Strong?' continued Tennington. "'I had the very deuce of a job to convince the old fellow "'that there was not only no rural free delivery, but no town, "'and that he was not even on the same continent as Washington, "'nor in the same hemisphere. "'When he did realize, he commenced to worry about his daughter. "'I think it is the first time that he really has appreciated our position here, "'or the fact that Miss Porter may not have been rescued.' "'I hate to think about it,' said the girl, "'and yet I can think of nothing else than the absent members of our party.' "'Let us hope for the best,' replied Tennington. "'You yourself have set us each a splendid example of bravery, "'for in a way your loss has been the greatest.' "'Yes,' she replied. "'I could have loved Jane Porter no more had she been my own sister.' Tennington did not show the surprise he felt. That was not at all what he meant. He had been much with this fair daughter of Maryland since the wreck of the Lady Alice, and it had recently come to him that he had grown much more fond of her than would prove good for the peace of his mind, for he recalled almost constantly now the confidence which Monsieur Thurin had imparted to him that he and Miss Strong were engaged. He wondered if, after all, Thurin had been quite accurate in his statement. He had never seen the slightest indication on the girl's part of more than ordinary friendship. "'And then, in Monsieur Thurin's loss, if they are lost, you would suffer a severe bereavement,' he ventured. She looked up at him quickly. "'Monsieur Thurin had become a very dear friend,' she said. "'I like 